Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. I am grateful for the opportunity to be able to bring a message this morning. Um, Our message will be in Romans chapter 5. You can be turning there. I have to also admit that it was kind of last minute that I found out, and uh, I was a little nervous about it, it was short notice and all, but I'm grateful for all the many prayers that have gone before me and this time, and as I told Carolyn this morning, you know, I was anxious yesterday and Thursday a little bit, but I just had that peace that passes all understanding this morning, and I'm, I'm just, as the song says, I'm standing on the rock, and I know that as long as I am faithful to bring forth His Word, that the Holy Spirit will be able to utilize it um, in the hearts and minds of of each of those that are willing to receive it and have ears to hear. The message that I'm bringing today in Romans 5 is on reconciliation. And, um, you know, when I was saved at the age of 20 and began to get into the Word of God, There was a lot of words like reconciliation, sanctification, glorification, redeemed, that I just didn't really, I just really didn't understand. I, I, you know, those were all new words and and new concepts. And uh, as I have grown in my faith, as I have read more of God's word, God has been faithful to take me deeper in understanding of his, his, both his word and his ways. And so as I was praying about what to bring this morning, God led me to reconciliation. And um, just a little bit of a definition on reconciliation in the financial world. um, In the financial world would be comparing a bank statement to the internal record of cash receipts and disbursements. Many of you balance out your checkbook and things of that nature, making sure that things are matching up and balancing out properly. In the relational world, it could be the restoration of friendly relations. We reconciled our differences, or they came to a reconciliation. But it's important to realize that reconciliation is not always restoration, humanly speaking. Let me ask a question. Is is forgiveness the same as reconciliation? The answer to that is no. It takes two people to reconcile, but it only takes one to forgive. We are encouraged to forgive others. They may not reciprocate or or accept our forgiveness or even forgive us. But in reconciliation, it takes two people to reconcile that difference. Um, And restoration, if you think about the process where a, a, a relationship has been broken, where perhaps you or the other extends that forgiveness, and then it goes to the point of reconciliation, you come to a better understanding of whatever the offense was, there's really that, that third step of, of restoring that relationship to the point it was prior to whatever that offensive thing was. And so... I just kind of wanted to kind of clarify that as we look at the biblical definition of reconciliation. 
in the biblical sense, it is a change of relationship between God and man through the redemptive work of Christ. And when that reconciliation through that redemptive work, that redemptive work of Christ is all-encompassing. It, it, it takes into account forgiveness. It takes into account restoration, our restoration in, in relationship to God. And so when we're looking at this, this, this word today in reconciliation, it's, I think, important for us to recognize that we sometimes look at it from a human perspective, and it's important for us to look at it from a biblical perspective, and that's what we're going to try to do today. So if you would, um, let's turn to Romans 5, and we will begin in verse 6, and we will read to verse 11. If you are able, if you would stand in honor of God's word as I read the passage. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to bring your word forth this morning. I do pray, Father, for your guidance through the Holy Spirit, through the word. pray, Father, that you would give me clarity of thought, Give me freedom to be able to speak as you lead me and have boldness to say things that, uh, that perhaps I might not want to say in order to offend someone. But Father, my intention is not to offend, but to, to be truthful to the truth of your word. So I just pray for that help and that guidance. And I pray that those that are listening here within the sanctuary or on video, wherever else, Father, I just pray that you would give them ears to hear and the will to act upon uh, in obedience to what you have to say. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to look at three stages of reconciliation within the context of God's Word. But in order to look at our focal passage, I, I wanted to back up just a little bit to give it some context. So if you turn to the left, chapter 4 of Romans, uh, Paul talks about our justification by faith. Abraham is known as the father of faith, and he is the subject of justification by faith. So if you're in chapter 4, look at and follow along with me in verse 19. Starting in verse 19, we'll read through to 22. And not being weak in faith, speaking of Abraham, he did not consider his own body already dead. Since he was about 100 years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him 
for righteousness. So here we see that faith of Abraham that we sang about in relationship to Jesus Christ this morning. Abraham's faith in God was so strong that, as it says, he didn't consider his age or Sarah's age. He believed that God said it and that God would perform it. And it says here that, and therefore, as a result of that faith, it was accounted to him for righteousness. It goes on in verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand on that solid rock and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Reconciliation for the lost is a revelation. To have a relationship with God restored is, is, is truly a revelation. For those of us who are, are believers, it's a cause to go deeper. If we look at closer at our focal passage, verse 6, for when we were still without strength, it says, for when we were still without strength, speaks about the condition that we were in prior to our salvation. And quite honestly, it's a condition, sin, that we still struggle with even after our salvation, even after our putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I think that for those of us that are believers, it's important for us to take a closer look at what this idea of reconciliation and, and what exactly it entails in our relationship with God. When we look at that relationship that Abraham had, that was before the cross, that was on the other side of the cross, but his, his, his focus and his love and his belief and trust was in God and God's ability to do what he said he would do. And that faith, we know, the Bible says, is a gift. It's a gift of God. And the gift is the object of what it is that we're placing our faith in. You've oftentimes heard the illustration of, you know, a, someone having made a chair that you never saw constructed, you didn't know how it was put together, you didn't know if it was stable, but we put our faith in it and we sit down in it and we put our trust in it. Abraham put his faith in God and God alone. We, on the other side of the cross, know that Jesus Christ was the object or the, the God incarnate, the one that, that God had given us as a gift. And so we place our faith in him. 
that object of our faith is, is Jesus Christ. It's not the chair, it's not anything else, but it's, it's Jesus Christ. That is the object of our faith. That is the gift. If you would, turn back again in Romans to chapter 3. Starting in verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One of the things that we know that in coming to, to God, it's important for us to recognize our, our condition and the fact that we've sinned. I think back to when I was 20 years old. I was raised in a Catholic family. I came to understand as best I could who God was through my upbringing. I went to a parochial school through eighth grade. Um, but at the age of 20, I can honestly say that I was not really following God and, and, and didn't really know just exactly who God was, I, in, in a sense, because my mother had become, through her recovery of alcoholism, had become a born-again Christian. She become a, had become a Protestant, began to go to a a Methodist church, and and a buddy of mine, he uh, he was into a form of Hinduism and Buddhism. And so I really began to struggle and, 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 and consider all of these different aspects of people coming and believing in God. And, and I was really searching. I was, I was sincere. And, and I believe, as the Bible teaches, that, that at that point God was drawing me. I don't believe it was because of my own intelligence or my big head or anything. It was simply God drawing me towards Him. And because of my knowledge that I believe I gained through my Catholic upbringing, I had some, some basic understanding of who Jesus Christ was. I believed, as a result of that upbringing, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I didn't completely understand it. As I explained earlier, I didn't have a complete understanding of these different words of reconciliation and sanctification and, and these kind of things, but I knew that I needed to have a better relationship with God, and I was searching. And so I, I say that to say that, you know, for a person that perhaps is lost and is hearing this message, you know, you don't have to have it all figured out. As God draws us he draws us, first of all, I believe, to the fact that He is. And when we come to that position of recognizing that God is, then it becomes a situation of, okay, so who is God, really, when you have all of these different people saying that God is these different things? Even within Christendom, we have so many different denominations. And so for a lost person, it can become a real challenge. What is it that I believe? Well, I believe that what we're seeing here in, in verse 6 is that Paul is explaining to us that after he's explained the understanding of justification comes through faith, he's also pointing out to us now that, that we are sinners, all of us. There's not one that doesn't sin. And yet even at that 
even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of us not completely knowing who God is, God had a plan and a purpose. And it was through Jesus Christ. If you would, turn to Ephesians 4.25 with me. I'm sorry, is it Ephesians? No, I'm sorry, it's um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, in spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. As Paul said, we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, as we see in Ephesians as well. Verse 7, he says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. The point is that Jesus died for us, even though we were not good men or women. We were not deserving to be saved, and yet God's love shown through Christ. God in the person of Jesus Christ died for me. He died for you. Faith in Jesus brought justification, but it also brought reconciliation. Remember, the definition, the biblical definition of, of reconciliation is that it, it brings a change. It brings a, a change. Relationship between God and man. God's not the one changing. It's us. And it's because of what God in the person of Jesus Christ did on the cross. And the reason why I wanted to make a distinction between those that are lost and those of us that have been walking with the Lord is because it's important for us to realize that for a, a person that is lost, like I was at the age of 20, much of this was a revelation. I knew I wasn't a good person, but I didn't recognize the fact that I was a sinner like everybody else. There's nobody else I can compare myself. And oftentimes as human beings, we say, well, I'm not as bad as that person over there. It doesn't matter. We're all, we're all fall short, God's glory, it says. All of us. So for the, the, the lost person, it's under, important to understand that. For those of us that have been walking with the Lord, sometimes we have a tendency to leave it there. And so my prayer in, in coming today with this message is that we can go a little bit deeper in our understanding of what God has done in that through Christ and the redemptive work and, and get a better understanding of what this reconciliation is all about. The next level or the next point that I wanted to make is reconciliation reveals God's grace. Go ahead and put that up there, Revelation. Thank you. In verse 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
There again is that act of grace. We didn't deserve it. God, God's grace is giving us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve a right or a, a relationship, a restored relationship with God. Grace, as many of you perhaps have heard that the acronym stands for G, God's riches at Christ's expense. Verse 9 says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Saved from wrath. Paul talks about that in the beginning of Romans. He talks about that in chapter 1. Why don't we go ahead and turn there? Romans 1, starting in verse 18. Talking about reconciliation and the wrath of God. Starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Paul is telling us that, that we're without excuse. This is not just for those that... We're before the cross in, in Abraham's day. This is for those of us on this side of the cross. I remember as I was growing in my faith and I had family members that began to challenge me a little bit about my conversion and uh, would ask me, well, what about these people that are in these remote areas of Africa and other parts of the world where they have not heard the gospel? Well, Paul is telling us here that, that God has revealed himself. He has made known, it says in verse 19, is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Man knows that, that he needs God. You know, in our culture today, you know, we like to sometimes think that, you know, it's never been so bad, but, you know, I, as I get older, begin to look at history a little bit more, and I, I begin to realize, you know, um, mankind has gone through these kind of things where there's been real rebellion against God. I mean, the flood is an example of one. Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, this is, you know, we think that, you know, it's never been so bad. And, and clearly, it, it, it's getting bad. It's, it's definitely bad. But, but those of us that are 
are believers and followers of Christ need to recognize that, you know, our, our, our sinfulness separates us from God. And, and we can't just leave it there at the point of conversion. God intends for us to continue to grow. And this concept of reconciliation helps us to understand, like I was explaining in, in earlier in regard to relationships. It's a two-way situation in, in reconciliation. God hasn't changed. God has made a way through the redemptive work of Christ. But there has to be a response by us in responding to the, to the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth that we see within God's Word. And I know that from my own experience, sometimes I get, I get lackadaisical and I, and I, you know, some of the terms we use in Christendom is, you know, backsliding and, you know, that type of thing. Whatever you call it, it's not good. And, and, and we need to recognize that, yes, we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, but we've also been reconciled. And this reconciliation is, is about this relationship. It's about this reconciling and us becoming more aware of God's ways. We were talking in, in the study this morning and about Job. And we got talking a little bit about prayer. I think Robert had mentioned something about prayer and how important that relationship is. You know, obviously Jesus is an example of, of his earthly life, of going and communing with the Father um, many, many times. Early in the morning, late at the day, that relationship. In our busyness as believers and followers, it's easy to get caught up in, in life, which in reality isn't life because this world is passing away. Our focus, like Abraham's, needs to be so strong on God in the person of Jesus Christ that that communion continues to the point where he brings us under the conviction of the fact that, yes, we have been forgiven, but you know what? There's still places that you're missing the mark. There are still places where you're grieving the Holy Spirit and you need to be reconciled. God has made a way through Jesus Christ, through the help of the Holy Spirit and through the power of His Word to continue in that relationship, to have that be reconciled. And that's, again, all by God's grace. No excuse. God's grace. And the other thing we see in verse 9 of Romans 5, that we've been justified by His blood. One of the things that we're going to do the end of the service is we're going to partake of communion where, again, we do that in remembrance of Christ's shed blood. It's interesting, again, as I said earlier, you know, I, I'm beginning to enjoy history more, and most especially in the Old Testament, and, and coming and seeing so much of what God had done through his people, the nation of Israel, in helping them to be able to visualize and understand better what God's intention was through the sacrifice of animals and how there needed to be blood shed to cover the sin. There is life in the blood, and when you shed blood, you're taking that life 
and you're pouring that over to try to compensate for that sin. Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. Shedding his blood, he was the perfect sacrifice. He lived a he was born of a virgin. He 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 lived a perfect life. He suffered and died on the cross to rise again three days later. Jesus Christ is that blood sacrifice for our sins. Again, it's another thing that we can sometimes pass over. Yes, we, we know that. We have that knowledge. We understand that. But allow God, through the person of the Holy Spirit and the power of His Word, to take you deeper in understanding that sacrifice. When we take this, it can become routine. It can be just a regular routine that we do. But we have the opportunity each time we have communion to remember that sacrifice in light of whatever it is that God is expressing through the message in that particular day. This brings us to the third point. Reconciliation reveals a new creation. In verse 10 it says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Much more. Again, this is really to us as believers and followers of Christ. Salvation is just the starting point. Being saved from our sins is just the beginning. God has so much more for us. Living that life, you know, the, the symbolism of, of baptism, being buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Many of us are missing out on those things that should be new. We're still walking in the flesh. We're still relying upon the old man's way of thinking. And we have not fully embraced the truth of God's Word to the extent that we are walking in this new life. If the point here in, in, in verse 10 is, for if, if when we were enemies we were reconciled, how much more will we be reconciled in that life, in His life? One of the things that I got, and I'm not sure if it's, if I, I, I get into it further on, but I know that in the preparation of this of this message, God really revealed to me, as I know many of you know, is that sometimes we can get caught up in trying to do good works and feel as though that that is somehow compensation in some way for our sins or our missing the mark. And that's not the new life. The new life is, is walking in the Spirit. The new life is so focused on God and our relationship with God that we don't want to do those things. It's not a matter of, of us having to, in the flesh, you know, determine ourselves to do something. Yes, there's a, there's a transition there of our obedience. There's, there is a, a moment, obviously, where you know, the, the truth of God's Word is revealed to us and we realize that, you know what, that's right. What I've been doing is wrong. I need to be obedient. I'm used to doing this. I like doing this. But, but that's different because you're responding to the truth. You're, you, God has revealed something to you, and, and, and that's part of the new life. It's part of that reconciliation. It's part of that, that 
realization that comes as a result of your relationship with God. And so you, you, you respond in obedience. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. And verse 19. Reading in Colossians 1, 7, 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having been having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Our good works, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. And we, it says here in Colossians, that we were once alienated and enemies in our mind. And the Bible tells us that we need to renew our minds. This process of reconciliation, this change that has taken place as a result of the redemptive work of Christ has enabled us to be able to read God's Word, be able to understand God's Word, and then act upon God's Word. And that's in the context of our relationship with God and the person of Jesus Christ through, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the purpose is, he is reconciled in the body, verse 22, of his flesh through death. Jesus' death has, has done that work to present us holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. It's not anything we did. It's what God did through Jesus, His redemptive work. That's not only God's grace, it's also that new creation. That's, new, that, that's our new creation. Verse 11 of Romans 5 says, And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. One more verse, chapter 2 Corinthians. Again, chapter 5. A lot of these are in chapter 5 of these different books. I always like it when God does little special things like that, that just kind of personal. Chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. Now this is important. This is not the end, but it's almost the culmination of the, the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Therefore, I hear a few pages, I'll wait. 17 of 2 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 5, chapter 7. Chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ? He is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know you had a ministry? That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus did it. On the cross, he said, it is finished. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And so, what does that look like when we're talking about reconciliation? Well, it's pretty clear here. We have now the ministry of reconciliation. We've been talking in different studies and different, at different occasions about our role within the body. We recognize that not everybody's called to be a preacher and to be up here as an elder, as a deacon. I mean, there's many different roles. No one position is more important than the other. All of the body, the, the, the Bible teaches us that every part is important. Every part. And yet all of us have this responsibility of ministry, of reconciliation. We have not just the knowledge, but we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us that will enable us. And quite honestly, in the beginning, it, it's, it, it, takes, it takes a step of faith. You don't feel comfortable sometimes telling someone about Jesus Christ. But God is not only faithful, but he is always helpful to guide us through those conversations. If we will simply respond in obedience to that, that calling or that sense. One of the other aspects that I wanted to touch upon a little bit was the fact that one of the definitions I gave was in the relational world, it could be the restoration of friendly relations. We reconciled our differences or they came to a reconciliation. In our understanding of what Jesus said, that the most important commandments are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Reconciliation is an important aspect of the relationships that we have with others. In addition to being ambassadors to help people to see their need for Christ, there's also the need for them to witness our ability as believers in Jesus Christ to reconcile with others. And as I said earlier, you know, it starts with forgiveness. Forgiveness is such an important 
principle within being able to restore that re that relationship. And forgiveness should be something that is easy for us because of the fact that we have been forgiven. And when we come to a deeper understanding of, of what that is and what we have been forgiven of, then forgiveness not only becomes easier, but our desire to reconcile becomes a desire. And in Philippians, it says that God is working in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And that's part of the process. That's part of the process of, of learning to forgive because we are instructed to forgive, because we've been forgiven. And then as we do that, and we really understand that, and we see God's blessing in that process of forgiveness, it, again, recognizing that it may be just one way, we may not get the kind of response we'd like to get, we may not have a restored relationship or reconciled, but we have been obedient to what God has taught us to do. And we become better at being forgiving. We don't hold grudges. We don't look to get revenge. Instead, we become more like Christ in being forgiving. And then we begin to have His desire to reconcile. And then when we get to the point where we begin to reconcile relationships, then we find out that God blesses again and He restores relationships. There's not a person in here that does not have relationship issues on one level or another. We all do. Part of life. Family, neighbor, work, church. The purpose of the body, one of the purposes of the body, is that that is where we, we not only come together in fellowship and in opening of God's Word, but it's also where we practice the fruits of the Spirit. Kindness and joy. We, we need to take that out to the world. If we can't do that within the, the body of Christ, we're certainly not going to be able to do it out in the world. Yeah, we can put on a face. We can be polite and kind. But in our heart, it's different. And oftentimes, people can read that. Sometimes better than we can ourselves. Before we close, I have this one little story. I wanted to read. <clears throat> Once upon a time, two brothers who lived on a journey—I'm sorry, adjoining farms—fell into conflict. It was the first serious rift in 40 years of farming side by side, sharing machinery and trading labor and goods as needed without a hitch. Then the long collaboration fell apart. It began with a small misunderstanding. And it grew into a major difference. And finally, it exploded into an exchange of bitter words, followed by weeks of silence. One morning, there was a knock on John's door. He opened it to find a man with a carpenter's toolbox. I'm looking for a few days of work, he said. Perhaps you could have a small job here and there. Could I help you? Yes, said the older brother. I do have a job for you. Look across the creek at that farm. That's my neighbor. In fact, it's my younger brother. Last week, there was a meadow between us, and he took a bulldozer to the river levee, and now there's a creek between us. He may have done this to spite me, but I'll go him one better. See that pile of lumber? 
peering over by the barn there? I want you to build me a fence, an eight-foot fence, so I won't need to see his place anymore. Cool him down, anyhow. The carpenter said, I think I understand the situation. Show me the nails and the post hole digger, and I'll be able to do a job that pleases you. The older brother had to go to town for supplies, so he helped the carpenter get the material ready, and then he was off for the day. The carpenter worked hard all that day, measuring, sawing, nailing. About sunset, when the farmer returned, the carpenter had just finished his job. The farmer's eyes opened wide. His jaw dropped. There was no fence there at all. It was a bridge stretching from one side of the creek to the other. A fine piece of work, handrails and all, the neighbor, his younger brother, was coming across, his hand outstretched. You are quite a fellow to build this bridge after all I've said and done. The two brothers stood at each end of the bridge, and then they met in the middle, taking each other's hand. They turned to see the carpenter hoist his toolbox on his shoulder. No, wait. Stay a few days. I have a lot of other projects for you, said the older brother. I'd love to stay on, the carpenter said, but I have many more bridges to build. Sometimes all it takes is a step toward peace with God and others. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.